0: Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones.
1: Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. In a few moments, we'll be joined by Bob Cooney of the Philadelphia Daily News to talk about the NBA draft. First of all, our play by play call of the day. Fly ball, left field. Zesman is going back, way back at the wall. Seeger has just hit his third of the night. A three-run shot for the Dodgers. It's a perfect 10 to nothing. Charlie Steiner with the call on the Dodgers radio network last night. Dodgers rolled on again. Right now in baseball, get you up to date on the board as it stands at the moment. The Cubs lead the Padres 2-1, bottom of the fifth at Wrigley marlins beat the nationals today two to one and in the bottom of the sixth the red sox
2: lead at kaufman over kansas city four to two Yeah, and you were breaking down the nl west yesterday between the dodgers arizona and colorado i was just dialing around last night and i found the arizona colorado game last night and i caught the uh nolan Arenado triple the two-run triple yeah. in the bottom half of the eighth and i just turned the tv off went to bed okay that's that was going to be our play-by-play call, slam dunk. Then, right. <laughs> and lo and behold, then Mr. Steg- Mr. Seeger showed up. Yeah, let's uh, hit three. <laughs> yeah, very nice. All right.
1: Time now to check in on the, the big story, of course, in the NBA draft. Is the Celtics and Sixers swapping before tomorrow night's draft takes place? Bob Cooney covers the Sixers for the Philadelphia Daily News. Bob, welcome. Great to hear you again, my friend.
3: Steve, thanks for having me. Good to be with you.
1: Bob, I want to start out, obviously, Markel Fultz is the guy that, that that's the target. You want to get a balanced Lineup through the draft are the Sixers in the process of now doing that based on how Fultz will fit with Embiid and Simmons?
3: Funny how we can't mention the name Sixers without the word process coming up, isn't
1: it? <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, the, we're, yeah, back to, no, we're back to we're back to Sam Henke now, even it, though he's not it's there.
3: The truth, though, I, I think that they should they sit there uh, at one and take Fultz. I think they looked at this draft and thought um, that there's a lot of good players. Uh, especially you know, top-heavy in this draft, but that he was the one that fit best with their team, uh, a guy that can do a little bit of everything, very versatile offensively, uh, can shoot the ball, and they, they certainly need shooters, and even if they do draft him, they're going to have to hit some shooters in free agency. He's a guy that can handle the ball uh, um, very well, very good passer. But what they want to be is just a pass-and-move team. They want to run as much as they can, and if it gets to the half court, it's a pass-and-move team. And uh, I think they think that Markel Fultz fits in there perfectly. Um, He's got a lot of upside, um, and I I watched tons and tons and tons of tape of him this weekend. He's got some downside, too, some things that concern you uh, that that the Sixers really have to look out for.
1: Yeah, I mean, defensively, he's no better than okay, I think, when I've watched him.
3: Yeah, Yeah, it was funny. funny. We talked to him the other night, and he said, you know, I'm a pretty good shot, shot blocker for a point guard and uh, yeah I, it almost came out of my mouth as you said I did yeah, because you're getting beat off the dribble all the time and yeah, and you're blocking shots from behind because it's the only thing you have left so he's got to work on that no question
1: uh how interesting will this you, know, you and I both know that the in the NBA it's multiples of three stars together that usually lead to something good but there're always three veterans how interested are you to see three young players work together and what they can accomplish
3: yeah, it's, it's funny. I People hate to hear it here in Philadelphia, but I say it over and over. you, you got to be cautious here. Uh, you know, you're talking about – if you're talking the three core of Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and now Markel Fultz, the three have combined for 31 NBA games, and all of those were played by Joel Embiid last year. Yep. Uh, that's all you have. So um, there is a time period for uh, new players not only to get used to each other but Joel Embiid doesn't really know the grind of an NBA season yet, and he's the only one that's actually stepped on the court. Ben Simmons certainly doesn't. Martel Fultz won't until at least two years down the road. So uh, not only do they have to get acclimated to each other on the court and, and, and get to know Brett Brown's offense and how each one of them fits into it and how they fit together, they have to figure out how to get themselves through the grind of an 82-game season, and it's not easy, and it's especially not easy for youngsters who've never been through it before.
1: You know, it's interesting, Bob, because I was talking with uh, Tim Frazier just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and he said, that's the first thing that you realize. Suddenly, you get to, like, December 20th, and you probably played as many games as you did in college. You're like, what, I still got 50 to go? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: I, I remember one year um, on the beat, one of my friends who's a, a Division One college coach called me, and we were talking. And he said, my God, how many games do you have left in the season? I said, oh, we're down to 43. And he's like, you're down to 43? He (laughs) said, that's more than a college season. And, you know, it it is. It's an amazing, amazing grind. And it's everything. It's not just the games. It's the travel. It's the the getting on the court every day, whether you feel like it or not. Uh, It's as much a physical battle as it is a mental one.
1: Do the Sixers now? We haven't seen obviously these parts fit together yet on the court, but in theory, do you think the Sixers need some veteran presence somewhere that will help these that could help these guys?
3: Yeah, you know they do have Jared Bayless uh, on the roster, who's a pros pro, who's been in the league for a while. Yeah, um, and and he's really big in the locker room. Like he's 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 like a Tim Frazier, like just a good guy in the locker room. Um uh, Gerald Henderson is still here, although I don't know if they're going to. They have until the end of the month, end of June, to decide if they're going to re-sign him. It's a team option. I don't know if they're going to do that. Um uh, But if they do, he's another really good veteran presence. Like I said earlier, Steve, they have to they have to sign some three point shooters. So yeah. uh, my thinking, I've said it since he was traded. I, I would I would look for them to bring Ersan Eliasova back. Uh, another pros pro who Dario Saric just loved, who all those guys learned from, uh, and maybe a JJ Reddick who, who obviously has been in the league forever, um, is is very adept at, at teaching young guys the way of the league. So I think they can kind of hit you know two birds with one stone if, if you start to address the areas with those guys.
1: How interested are you to see uh, Brett Brown with some players around him?
3: Yeah, that it'll it'll be fun, and then the small sample size that you have. Is last January, um, Joel Embiid was healthy, uh, um, Ursan Eliasova was starting beside him at the stretch four spot, and then coming off the bench, Nerwans Noel was spelling, uh, Embiid. And and Dario Sharitz was coming off the bench and spelling Ilya Silva, and then your guard spots Robert Covington was out there. Yep. Um, you were you know you you, you had a set lineup. He had a set lineup of like nine guys, and everybody knew what they were playing. Everybody knew when they were coming in and out. They knew their roles, and they went ten and five in fifteen games in January, and and it was just a snippet of wow. You know, look what happens when he has set lineups that he can go to when he knows who his players are. Look how good it is, and you're talking about T.J. McConnell was your starting point guard, not Ben Simmons. Right. You know, uh, Joel Embiid was still on a minutes restriction, so uh, I think it'll be fun to watch what Brett Brown can do, and I think he can do an awful lot.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. i I felt that that was one of the stronger moves that they made over time was that they hung with him, and I yeah, and I thought you know what I give him a lot of credit because a lot of people would just panic and just kept running one guy after another through there, and they didn't do that.
3: Yeah, because the amazing thing that Brett Brown did, and, and, uh, you know, if you're an outsider looking in and you see a team over a, a three year period that wins 18, 19, and 10 games uh you know, you're know, you going to think that those players aren't going to want to be there and they're not going to want to show up every day and the environment is going to be absolutely horrible. It was exactly the opposite with Brett Brown. Those guys came in ready to work every day. Yeah. He forgot about what happened the day before and had these guys pumped and ready to go. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a group come in and work harder with the circumstances that they were dealing with than, than, the, than his teams have over the last three, four years.
1: Now, there's risk on both sides. Obviously, the Sixers take, the take you know, with the pick. I mean, Markel Fultz is going to be no lock to be a great player. Yeah, he could end up being one. But, you know, that's what's different. The NBA is a different leap. What about the Celtics end of it? There's a team that had the best record in the East, fell in five to the Cavaliers once they finally went head-to-head. All right, so what's the risk here on the Celtics side as to what and what do you think they need to do with that pick in terms of keeping it or using it?
3: Yeah, I think Danny Ainge has something big up his sleeve. If any if if that Eastern Conference um final series showed anybody anything, it's that those two, while they are I think on a different tier, they're one two in the Eastern Conference and everybody else is looking to play catch up, Boston is still way behind Cleveland. So I I think Ainge just thought, Well, Fultz at the number one doesn't really help them because they're a guard-heavy team. I think he probably thought Fultz isn't head and shoulders above two, three, four, and five, so why not collect some assets, and why not look to maybe get in some, some talks of trade trades moving forward? I think Boston's going to sign a huge free agent this summer. Uh, everybody thought it was going to be Gordon Hayward. Maybe it still will be. Might be Blake Griffin. I think they're going to be in talks and may pull off some kind of like a, uh, a big trade using some of the assets that the Sixers gave him, maybe some of the guard-heavy players that they have. Uh, I, I, think, I think Danny Ainge is sitting back looking more towards the future of catching up to Danny Ainge, whether it's this year or next year. I don't think he was looking at any immediacy through this draft. When he fell back to three, I think that's that's just an asset that he gained to to do something bigger
1: Bob you and I both know the Celtics had not been signing free agents I mean they were it wasn't if they weren't trying they were but then Al horford did sign and he turned out to be what they thought he would be. How important was it just as a breakthrough that then may open the door to them signing a free agent
3: yeah any anytime a big name goes to a to a, a team it it does you know um it does open the eyes of other players. And, and, hey, Boston was the number one seed in the East this year. We can't forget that. right? Um, so, uh, yeah, that that's always a good thing. And, you know, that's kind of like here in Philadelphia. It, with what's been going on, fans are have been clamoring, oh, you got to sign a free agent, sign a free agent. Well, who would want to come here? You know, over the last few years, who in their right mind would want to come here? I know money talks. But everybody knew that every team was going to have money in the near future. So, you know, if, if if big time players look and see an Al Horford not only go there, but help that team get to a number one seed, sure, that, that Boston's going to be a, a you know a nice place for them to go. And and there is nobody in the league that I've talked to. Uh, about Brad Stevens that just doesn't love the guy right. and and I know players, GMs, executives around the league they just think he is something very special there in Boston.
1: How different Bob is the Sixers front office now with Brian Colangelo running the show instead of Sam Hinkie?
3: Um that's a great question. It, it it's different in the um in the um dealings with the media because uh, Brian has made himself uh, uh you know more um reachable with us. Um But it's funny And I, I wrote this a few weeks ago When you listen to Brian talk about How they're going to move forward It's it's almost like a, a, a scaled back approach But the same philosophy as Sam Hinkey. You know, he talked about the trade the other day And said we were happy to do it Because we can help ourselves now But we didn't hurt anything in the future sure. And we could still hold on to assets That we accumulated before So it was funny And I wrote it I said, boy you would have, you would have thought that that if he'd have peeled off a mask, it was Sam Hinkie call. <laughs> so I, I think the philosophy is good. Um, I think he wants to look at this organically for a little bit. What see what he has first before he makes a big splash, um, you know, in free agency or or via trade. Um, so I, I think that's where this Sixers team is now. Gather what you have, uh, get it together for a year or two, or whatever, and then if you're if you can make a splash in free agency or trade, then you can do it.
1: Well, of course, Brian Colangelo is more available. He at least opened the door to come out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a prerequisite to communication.
3: Exactly.
1: <laughs> One final question, Bob. I appreciate the time very much, then I'll let you go. And that deals with, with the role of analytics. How do you How do you now, after watching this, covering this, talking with a number of people, how do you feel analytics should fit in into how a team is built versus the old scouting methods?
3: Yeah, you know, the old scouting methods, it's funny. Like Doug Collins and I years back sat down and talked about it. And he said, you know, and he's an old timer. Yep. He's analytics. He said, we had analytics back, you know, 30 years ago. It was called a guy keeping stats when they didn't know how to keep rebounds and they didn't know how to keep assists. <laughs> you know, it's kind of just grown out of that. I am, I, I like to see the numbers, uh, you know, some of the analytic numbers, but I also, I'll never forget talking to an uh, analytic guy one time. and. He was telling me about how when Thaddeus Young grabs the ball on the left side of the basket, when he starts to go to his right hand and then he dribbles more than two times and I said, stop. I said, listen, you just ran out of the 24-second clock back quickly. So you know what I mean? Like, basketball is a reaction game, and Brett Brown handles it like this. Look, the Sixers are full of analytics. He handles it like this. Yeah, anything that I can learn more is great. I am not going to drive my team by analytics. He knows that the league has become a three-point shooting league, a running league, a dunking league. That's what it is. He knew that years ago when he was in San Antonio that that's where the league was going, and that's how he's looking to build this team and and, and move forward.
1: Bob, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for the time. Great information. Thank you. I
3: appreciate it, buddy. Take care of yourself.
1: Bob Cooney, Philadelphia Daily News. We'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. An NBA draft having the intrigue that this one has. Possible trades? What do you do with Paul George of Indiana? What do you do with Jimmy Butler of Chicago?
2: The funny part, just a couple of days ago, you were talking about think fast, who is the who is the number who is the overall number two pick from the Lakers? And there he is last night involved with the trade. At gone.
1: <laughs> which tells you they're gonna draft either De'Aaron Fox or Alonzo Ball. Probably Lonzo Ball. So they had to make that move last night. They did. And um, I'm not so sure the Celtics keep the third pick. They may make the third pick for somebody else. But I still think there's a possibility. They, I think they're going to... They'll either try to sign Gordon Hayward as a free agent, which would be after July 1st, or they will make a deal for Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler, by the way, has two years to go on his contract. Now, you'd have to renegotiate it.
2: I've been hearing about so many people linked to Boston. I mean, Gordon Hayward has been uh, part of that rumor mill for several weeks, and all of a sudden you hear about you know, Chris Porzingis. Would he be a good fit in Boston?
1: Sure he would. So. I mean, Porzingis can step out and hit a three. Celtics, they, there is not a better coach. I mean, look, uh, obviously, Ray Popovich is right at the top of the he- the heap. Steve Kerr is right up there too. But when you talk about coaches within the top five, Brad Stevens of the Celtics absolutely has to be in there.
2: He's done a great job. There. How many people really kind of doubted that? Oh, he's going from Butler to Boston? It's like, wow, that's a huge step. I
1: I didn't. When the the Celtics hired Stevens, I thought that was a great hire. There's something about the way he coached in college that he understood the value of the three-point shot, he he understood the value of passing and movement, uh, and you watch what he does out of timeouts. Well, now you see in the NBA, he's got guys that can shoot the three, they shoot the three, do a lot of passing movement, And the Celtics, I think, score seven or eight times out of ten when they have a timeout on an out-of-bounds play. No, actually, I was the opposite, Sean. When the Celtics signed him as to be the head coach, I
2: thought, that's a great move. Maybe I was just kind of surprised. Oh, Butler, perfect fit. He'll just hang there for another five, eight years.
1: Well, I think everybody thought he was going to take a bigger job in college basketball that he would go to Indiana that he would go to you know UCLA something
2: butler to the Celtics but he has such a calmness about him when he's you know manning the floor
1: oh yeah no he does he's in he's in complete control i mean it's it's like watching the suit in his office same thing calm cool collected never panics. You sound perplexed. (laughs) Yes and no. (laughs) no. (laughs) Yes and no. But, yeah, he's good. And then after the draft, it really is all baseball. The expansion draft is tonight for the NHL. The NBA draft is tomorrow night. Then after that, it's all baseball for a while. You know, the NFL doesn't have anything going on right now. College football doesn't have anything going on right now. The next major golf championship is the British Open. That's in July. So, we're going to be in one of those, you know, where baseball takes center stage. Now, it's interesting. You've lined up a guest for Monday. Is it Monday or Friday? Friday. It's Friday we're going to have one, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about the Phillies minor league system. And again, with no offense to what the Phillies are doing at the Major League level at the moment, because it's really, you know, again, here's that word, process. But I think Philly fans are more excited about the minor leagues right now than they are about the big club. But look, they know that's that's the future of what's going to happen with the club is what's going on in the minor leagues. So we'll talk to them about that on Friday. Now we will have the Phillies for you tomorrow. By the way, Max Scherzer carried a no-hitter into the eighth inning today, and the Nationals lost two to one. That's just not good. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors.
0: Taking your calls at 800 795 9565. This is The Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones.
1: Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Time now for the sports buzz of the day. Always intriguing, always fun. And Josh Jackson of Kansas says there's not enough time to work out for the Celtics. Well, the draft is tomorrow, the gym's open. Okay, so he didn't have time. (laughs) Didn't have time. (laughs) Unreal. Ah, you wonder sometimes. Um pre draft interview, Jackson confirmed he did not work out for Boston. He refused to work out with them without the assurance that the team would hang on to the number three pick. Well, that's their choice. You know, it's a job interview. Work out for him. Asked if he was concerned if whether the decision to skip a Celtics workout would affect him in the draft. It could. It may. May not. He said. But like I said before, I'm just happy to be here. Wherever I end up Thursday, I'll be happy. Okay. Yep, there's nothing like a mature league. The Celtics, by the way, did work out Dukes' Jason Tatum. And Tatum, in my opinion, is a little bit better all-around player than Jackson. Just my opinion. Now, Jackson has a long-term potential that's exciting. But... I think Tatum brings a little bit more to the table at both ends of the floor. One thing about Jackson is that they don't like, I'm talking about scouts don't like about Jackson, is quite simple. Is that if something doesn't go right, he'll sulk a little bit for for a while. Well, take me a word, over 82 games, something's going to go wrong. So so there you go. That's... This That's uh, the sports bozo of the day. Ah, interesting. Uh, another great Tom Verducci article in Sports Illustrated about baseball. You know, I, I sit there and I, I watch the pace of the, the game the last two nights, and look, like, they can be really strict on pace. Um, uh, in the minor leagues as opposed to the majors. And it shows. Yeah, I think last night's game was two hours and 34 minutes. And by the way, at 80 over capacity last night in Williamsport, it was just great. Great. Um, they did a lot of great things up there. But Tom Verducci, and this is in the uh, Sports Illustrated that's coming out the June 26th issue. Um, he says that the signature game of the season, as to what baseball is now, took place in Milwaukee on June 2nd. He said the Dodgers beat the Brewers in that game two to one in 12 innings, and. He, he writes so many intriguing things. You wonder why we're trying so hard to get him on the show. And he's awfully busy. We know that. Um, he says, it sounds like a, a thriller passed for a tedious revival of a Samuel Beckett play. He said, the plot revolved around waiting for a ball in play. Over the course of three minutes shy of four hours, 90 batters came to the plate. And only 40 of the 90 put the ball into play. And only did so once every six minutes. Nine pitchers, all of whom hit 93 to 99 in the radar gun, including L.A. starter Clayton Kershaw, they ended up that night striking out 42 batters. Not one player had a hit in 13 tries with runners in scoring position. All three runs were scored on solo home runs. Now, Tom Verducci, who loves, I mean, look, Tom Verducci loves the game of baseball. He doesn't like it. He loves the game of baseball. So don't get the impression that he's writing some negative, or he's written about shifts, and he's written about pace of play, and he's, and you know, about analytics. He's written about all those things. Not all of them have been complimentary of the current game, but that's because he loves the game. And he writes in his article on June 26. Unlike most sports, baseball's beauty is not only in its action, but also in the anticipation of its action. So the brief interludes allow conversation among friends, a pondering of the strategy. I know on the broadcast I do that all the time. I talk about strategy all the time on my broadcast. I'm trying to you know have to, not not to be critical, in other words, let's think along with the manager. Okay, it's a three two count. There's nobody out. Runner on run first. Do you send the runner? And that's part of the conversation you get in the stands. He says the game is disappearing. He says in its place grows a game obsessed with power. Power pitchers, home run hitters. Dick and Milton joins us. Hi, Dick. How are you? Hi,
4: Dick. Hey, Steve. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. How are you doing?
4: I'm fine. I just I had two questions, and I I don't know how much I missed the beginning. I didn't know how much you had to say about the Bowman Field and the and the renovations, and and obviously it's pretty nice. My question was: It always that small as number wise, a seat.
1: No, it used to be 4,000 seats.
4: I told some guys today, I thought it was like 4,000 seats. But So in other words, when they went to the individual seats and took out the bleachers, they lost seats, for one thing.
1: Well, that's part of it. They used to have more seats down the right field line. Right. And they, they built a party deck, so they had yeah. to take out seats to do that. They used to have more seats down the left field line. They built a picnic area. Uh, that was years ago. They built a picnic area.
4: I've seen it since then, i but but I do recall the four thousand seating,
3: and it when was. I saw
4: the when I saw the attendance at like what twenty four thousand um cover maybe minus a few last night right. I, I, my gosh, that seems awfully awfully low uh, and it looked full when I watched it on the on and, TV.
1: and it's eighty above capacity.
4: Oh, they actually my. had
1: eighty above capacity last night.
4: So, well, thank when, God they're they, only playing one pro game in there.
1: One, well, I right. You, but you know what, though. But the, to be honest with you, Dick, that's the right size for that park, in my experience.
4: So, so in other words, it's it's economically feasible to have a park that that number of people and they can make money. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I got, I'm not sure if you know, I, mean, oh,
1: my I know, I know what you mean. You know, first of all, as an organization, they don't have to pay the players. Okay, the Phillies pay. Right, the Phillies pay them. So they don't have to do anything like that. They don't have to pay the manager, anything like that. But over the years, and now I've done a dozen years of going up to Williamsport to do baseball games, usually their crowd is somewhere between 1,700 and 2,100. That crowd last night, which was sold out, yeah. fits the market.
4: Okay. And my other my other question I was going to ask is is uh, do you have any comment on the on the Hawks and Dwight Howard and maybe what it might do for Mike Muscala?
1: Well, that's a good question because uh, obviously Howard being traded opens up the door for uh, Muscala to get more playing time with them. The Hawks have to make a series of big decisions now. What do you do? Do you delve into free agency? Do you go with what you have at the moment? Um, I think Mike Muscala has found himself a role within the league. I mean, can his role expand some? It can, but Dwight Howard wasn't working in Atlanta anyway.
4: Yeah, I, I see where they might not. They might get rid of Millsap. I'm not sure where, what they mean by that or where that's going. But
1: well, they they might because Atlanta is in that. They're in that no-man's land. And Atlanta has been, for the most part, Dick, in no-man's land for about a dozen years now. And no-man's land in the NBA is this. I'm good enough to make the playoffs. I'm not good enough to advance. But by making the playoffs, that also means I'm never in the lottery. Which means your ability to advance and become an even better franchise your hands are constantly tied you're always the 6th, 7th or 8th seed you're always knocked out in the first round and you also mean you don't get a lottery pick in the draft yeah. so you're always picking in the middle of the pack so you then get into that zone where you're locked in where there's no upward movement but you don't go down either
4: I heard a guy interesting today he said that Dwight Howard wanted to Wanted to really play in a major market, so he goes. He leaves Atlanta and goes to Charlotte. I'm not. Sh- I'm not <laughs> sure what they're go- what he's gaining there. I would think at Atlanta. Maybe it's not New York, Chicago, or Los Angeles, but it's not exactly. Seattle not, either. I guess it's, at not, that point. It's,
1: not Charlotte. <laughs> it's
4: not. It's not Charlotte. I'm not sure what he meant by that. But, oh, he played he in played, Orlando. You know I, he to, played to me, in Los
1: Angeles. He played in Los Angeles. It didn't work.
4: Right, but I mean, he was uh, in Orlando. He,
1: Right, he's on the downside of his career now. That's the biggest problem Dwight Howard has. Yeah,
4: he's a I mean, defensive guru, but he doesn't have he doesn't add a lot to the to the offensive end uh, of the basketball game right now.
1: You cannot play him in the last 4 minutes of a game.
4: Yeah, he's a liability.
1: Because, yeah, he's a liability. They'll they'll foul him and he won't hit the free throws.
4: Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go. And, by the way, uh, thank God the uh, NCAA baseball season's coming to an end, which kind of ends NCAA right before preseason football starts. <laughs> and, uh, in, I
1: can't believe fact, how long it, that goes. It,
4: well, well, you know, the other thing that's kind of got me, you know, they talked about the uh, Penguins playing in Buffalo at uh, at State College. Yeah. And I and I told my wife or somebody like yesterday, so the season ends, uh, what, a week ago? Mm-hmm. And they're talking about a preseason game on, what, September the...
1: 100 days later.
4: 100 days later. if it, yeah, yeah. they got to practice before that.
1: Right. Yeah, they'll go to camp. They'll be in camp maybe about a week before they play that game, maybe eight days.
4: So between roughly, well, I guess baseball is long, too, between between spring training and, and whatever, but... There again, I guess they're just all—they're all too long for me, and that's just the way they are. I mean, they just are too long. We're, we've 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 just discussed this before. We, we're not going to make any progress because, in <laughs> other words, golf golf starts in Australia in January and it ends in God knows where Florida sometime in. in well, Africa.
1: they're talking about actually revamping the PGA Tour, where suddenly they get to the FedEx Cup right around Labor Day. And they're at, they're actually taking into account that they may need more time off now. But you're right, though. What will happen is that suddenly the pros will play in Australia, the pros will play in South Africa, the pro, pro you know they'll find places to play.
4: Well, and your other comment about we have a lull here with nothing going on for between the end of this and, and then in, in football starting again. And thank God there's no Olympics to squeeze in this year. <laughs> I guess because I have to fit that in every so many, every four years too somewhere
1: yeah you got to fit that in every four years and you get to you do get to do a brilliant job of fleecing some unsuspecting city out of millions of dollars
4: you know and it, it could go somewhere and, and sometimes it you have to watch the games at three in the morning
1: yes you do there will so... be no live Olympics until at least 2024 <laughs> if not until 2028 in this country where you'll be able to see the Olympics live
4: and by then everybody'll just watch it on their phone.
1: Exactly. You know. Everybody everybody be sitting there their phone dick looking at it. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks Dick. Goodbye. We'll come back wrapping up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK brought to you by Sunbury Motors. All right, the Phillies take over this time slot tomorrow and we're back on Friday. We're going to talk about the Phillies minor league system coming up on Friday's show. My brother will be with us as well, adding insight that only he can. Uh, I think that's fair to put it right.
2: Now that only I now that I know him better than ever before, yes, that's extremely accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun having him on. So. Absolutely. Who'd have thought that afternoon up there in the Great Northeast, in the middle of July, when all of a sudden we came out of a commercial break and you said, "Why well, don't we have my brother on the show? Go pick some football yeah. games, have some fun." Well, yeah, hey, it's working. Yeah, it is working. Yeah, he's done great. He's done great.
1: Uh. So we'll have him on on Friday. But tomorrow, the Phillies will be in this time slot. And then they'll be back in this time slot on Monday and Wednesday next week, too. They've got that game Monday against the Diamondbacks, and they've got a game Wednesday at Safeco against Seattle. They'll be in this time slot. Let's go LA and Scott Fransky in tomorrow. And uh, we'll review the expansion draft with Pete Jensen on Friday. We'll also do a review of the NBA draft and how it played out. Look, there's going to be a lot of deals tomorrow night. Uh, now, my favorite when it comes to the NBA is what's referred to as draft and stash, uh, when they pick some European player. And, of course, everybody, every fan of any team that does this, go oh, who, what? what, how many year, two year? <laughs> they look at each other. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> Yeah, it turns out that the guy's not badly. I mean, look, look at Dario Sakic with the uh, Sixers. He's a good player. That was a drafting stash. So, I mean, it can work out. But a lot of fans will hear and they go, Whoa. I can't remember who they did it. The Knicks did it with a player from Greece. And, and they're like, what in the heck? <laughs> the Knicks fans were not exactly enamored with the pick. Two years? We're going to wait two years? I was talking about the Tom Verducci article. I want to get more in-depth on this. Uh, Tom writes that the chess-like quality of baseball has tilted toward checkers. He said one-third of all turns at bat now end without the ball being in play. That's an all-time high. And when he means not in play, means it's either strikeout or it's a walk or a home run. He does not refer to a home run as the ball being in play. So the so called big three, that's what it happens to be. You know, that's been his biggest that's been his biggest complaint. Now we've got shifting. I mean, I'm watching I'm doing last night's game, and Williamsport shifts. I mean, here it is early in the season. Williamsport shifts. And when Ricardo Bautista for State College came to the plate, they had three guys on the right side of the infield. Now, Bautista, with his credit, went with the pitch, and he lined it to left for a base hit. You know, you're even seeing it now at the minor league level, where you're seeing shifting, for example. Now, people will tell you that's part of the chess game, but strikeouts and home runs are increasing. Uh, Brian Price, the manager of the Cincinnati Reds, said it used to be that managing a game, you would think about what pitching matchups you wanted based on maybe who could get you a ground ball or a double play if you needed one. Now what you find yourself doing is defending the home run. Who can I get to swing and miss? Uh, Major League Baseball is very concerned about how the trends of more velocity, more relief pitchers, and more all-or-nothing hitters are slowing the game. He writes, while the game prospers economically, baseball officials worry about where the sport is headed. They fret over internal polls that show they risk losing the next generation of fans as the pace of action slows in a technology-driven world that offers more diversions at a faster pace. I mean, there's an office in the back where that's happening, isn't there? Major League Baseball's statistical analyst, writes Tom Perducci, made a presentation to owners in August of last year cautioning how the analytically driven practices in today's game, bullpen usage, shifts, a de-emphasis on the stolen base, an emphasis on slugging over contact, actually do slow the pace of action. Since then, Major League Baseball's wrestled with questions of what should be done. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Humble's Wharf. On News Radio 1070 WKOK. We are your home
0: for the Philadelphia Phillies. News Radio 1070 WKOK, Sunbury.